Good morning. You know, I was thinking, we're thinking much of the resurrection and, of course, the death of the Lord Jesus. We live in a world that has somehow accepted death as the ultimate end. You know, the whole evolution, evolutionary worldview accepts death as the ultimate end. But we Christians don't accept that, do we? We know that death is because of sin. Death is not just part of the cosmos. It's because of sin. And God never intended that death would be the end of it all. But death is the result of sin. And so, as it says in the second part of that verse, the first part of the verse, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we know that death is the last enemy that shall be destroyed. And um, uh, for us, it will be life. Now, this morning, we're in uh, Exodus chapter 12. And um, we're just continuing where we left off last week. Dwight spoke on chapter 11. I thought he was going to go partly into chapter 12, but he left the whole chapter for me. So we're not going to read all the verses. It's uh, 51 verses. Now, it's kind of interesting that, it, that it, this chapter is happening today because yesterday was the Jewish Passover. And uh, today is the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, with the Jews, so that's exactly, we're in the middle of this, according to the Jewish calendar. And for us, of course, it's the uh, it's uh, Easter weekend. Now, back in the day, a long time ago, that used to be all at the same time. And uh, you can read that in history, why that became separated. But today, this weekend, it's all at the same time. So we'll read from chapter 12 of Exodus, and we'll start at verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb... Let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning, you shall burn with fire, and thus you shall eat it. 
with a belt on your, on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 17. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this same day, I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses. And then verse 26. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service, that you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh arose in the night, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. Verse 40. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years. On that very same day it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord. A solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. But every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. And we'll stop there. We'll ask the Lord for a blessing again. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that of the Passover and what the Passover uh, uh, tells us, how the Passover tells us about the Lord Jesus, that he is 
that fulfillment of all of that type in the Old Testament, and that He is the one who was sacrificed for us. Father, we pray that you may be with us this morning. We pray for anyone here who is not saved, that they also may come to know the Lord Jesus, and that they may turn from their sin and accept the Lord Jesus by faith. Father, we pray for this. And we pray that your name may be honored and lifted up this morning. We ask you these things, and we thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, I just want to read a few verses from the New Testament as well. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, because this morning... It's going to be mostly <coughs> a devotional message. And we don't want to miss out on the picture of the Lord Jesus. And um, like a brother once said, if you don't read the Bible, if you don't, if you don't recognize the Lord Jesus in your, in your Bible while reading it, you're not reading the Bible right. And that's true. It says there in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, not with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And then First Peter 1. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Verse 18, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So this feast, what we read about today, the Passover feast, it marked the beginning of the Jewish religious calendar. Now, there's two calendars in the Old Testament. There is the civic calendar, and there is the religious calendar. Now, when the first month of the religious calendar started, is when the uh, seventh month of the, of the civil calendar started. So it's maybe a little confusing, but uh, right now it's the beginning of the Jewish calendar. It's usually somewhere in March or April. And then, or actually it's f 14 days ago, I should say. And then in September, they call that Rosh Hashanah, which is the, new, the Jewish New Year, but that's actually the New Year of the civil calendar. So it's a little bit confu confusing. We won't go into that. Actually, I spoke on those feasts 15 years ago. I had some of my notes, and uh, that's 15 years ago, so that's a, that's a while ago. Um, but today I'm speaking on Exodus 12, so it's not just the subject, but I'm speaking on the chapter. So I want to make it clear right from the beginning that when we say that the Passover lamb points forward to the Lord Jesus, we didn't make this up. 
Scripture itself points that out very clearly in the verses that we were reading. Now, this is the tenth plague uh, that came upon Egypt. But this is really the plague that came upon Egypt. And if you go back to chapter 4, we read there that... um, the Lord already said to Moses, who had to go to Pharaoh right before any plagues happened, he said there, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. So God had that already in mind right from the start. So those first nine plagues, they were like a prelude. To this one, this was really the worst. It's one thing to lose all your belongings, as the Egyptians did, because by the end of this, it was pretty devastated. But to lose your firstborn son. As Jacob says in his blessing, when he's blessing his sons, he says about Reuben, the beginning of my strength. That was a very Jewish, Eastern way of thinking. The beginning of my strength. And so the firstborn son... Uh, this would have been also in, have included Pharaoh's firstborn son. This was a direct judgment upon Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was considered a god among the Egyptians. And so God, he pronounces judgment upon him. It's interesting too that when you go to chapter 18, just as a bit of an overview uh, of these plagues, It says there in Exodus 18 that Moses' father-in-law, he says in verse 11, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. For in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he, that is God, was above them. So we read here in this chapter that God was going to execute judgment on all the gods. And so God was confronting the gods of Egypt, the false idols of Egypt. Now let's just uh, go through the verses. And uh, I want especially to pick out the things that remind us of the Lord Jesus. And of ourselves as the redeemed. And uh, the lessons we can learn from this. Now, it's not just the Passover. It's also the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And those two feasts actually belong together. So in verse 2 it says, This month shall be your beginning of months. Now, I just want to ask you a question. Have you had a beginning with God? Well, you say, well, as I heard somebody say one time, I was always saved. Well, you're not always saved. Because if you were always saved, you were never lost. So why would you need to be saved? So can you look back to a time in your life when you had a beginning with God? Well, God wants to start here. This is where he starts, with the nation of Israel. Before he can take them on as a nation, where he can dwell in in their midst, as this book really ends with, he dwells in their midst at the end of this book. He has to redeem them. He has to save them. He has to pluck them from the burning from the judgment. And so this becomes the beginning of the nation of Israel. And before you can begin with God, you need to be saved. You need to be born again. You need to have a new birth. Just like the Lord Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, that the religious man, he never understood that. 
that he had to have a new birth. We are dead in trespasses and sins. And so God, he wants a new beginning. And so God starts anew, and that is great grace. And so then he says in verse 3, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for household. So four days, so on the tenth of the month, of the first month, they had to take a lamb. And then that was what we now know as Palm Sunday. Now it's actually interesting, this month, the dates of the calendar in April are exactly lining up with the dates of the Jewish calendar in the Old Testament. So the 10th of the month, that was last Sunday. Okay, so that's kind of interesting that last Sunday, April the 10th, is in the Bible. It, it doesn't line up with the Jewish calendar exactly, but with what we find, the 10th of the first month is when they got the lamb. They selected the lamb. Now think about the Lord Jesus on Palm Sunday. What happened? He was presented to the Jews. Hosanna to the, to, to, to the Lord Jesus. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Grace was shown to the Jews. He was presented. And it says in Luke 19, I always thought it was all the crowds that followed him and cheered him and so on, that it was the same crowds that crucified him. But actually it says in Luke 19, that it was his disciples, the crowds of his disciples, that uh, welcomed him like that. And so that, that last week, that last week the Lord Jesus was in Jerusalem. Many events happened in that week. And so just like the Jews, the Israelites, they took that lamb. It had to be a lamb without blemish. As we read also in 1 Peter 1, a lamb without blemish, without spot. The Lord Jesus Christ, he was the sinless one. The one who never sinned. The one who was perfect. Not just in deeds, but also in thoughts. The only one of whom God could say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The only one. And so he was presented to the Jews. He came on riding on a donkey, fulfilling the, the prophecy of Zechariah in chapter 9. Riding on a donkey. Meek and lowly. The perfect one. The Messiah was presented to the Jews. But they would not have him. And then, on the 14th day of the month, the 14th day of the month, they had to kill the lamb. Now, notice also, in verse 4, it says, And if the household is too small for the lamb, now, Jewish custom, Jewish tradition says that it could be up to 10 people in a household. Notice that it doesn't say, just as a parenthesis, I say this, it never says that the lamb is too little for the household. The lamb is never too little for the household. The blood of the lamb is enough to redeem everyone. It is the, the work of Christ is available to all men. God desires that all men be saved. It is available for all men. It is, uh, as we sometimes say, um, how do we say that again? Uh, sufficient. 
No, I can't remember that word now, but it is available for all men, but it is only, uh, it's sufficient for all men, but it's only um, efficient for those who believe. So Christ died for all, but it is only those who believe in him that will be saved. And so then we read in verse 5, your, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. And so in those four days from the 10th to the 14th, they would be able to see whether that lamb was without blemish. That lamb would be with them. Now notice also that it is always the lamb. Notice I found that very particular in verse 6 at the end. It says, then the whole assembly... Of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. It doesn't say, then all the families of the nation of Israel shall kill them at twilight. It is as if there is one lamb. And the whole congregation of Israel, all the thousands, they killed that one lamb. Even though there were thousands. As a matter of fact, according to Josephus, in the days of the New Testament... There were about 250,000 lambs killed in Jerusalem. Imagine, that's a lot of, that's a lot of animals. 250,000. And so, it is one lamb. And that again is a picture, a type of Christ. There's only one sacrifice, as it is also mentioned in Hebrews. All those sacrifices, they all pointed forward to the one ultimate sacrifice. The Lord Jesus himself. And then it says in verse 7 that they have to put, take the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they were eating. Now, <clears throat> if you go to verse um, 13, notice that. I never noticed that before. It says there, I, I'm very familiar with the first, second part, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. But notice in verse 13 at the beginning it says, Now the blood shall be a sign for you. And on the basis of that, on the basis of that, there are many uh, scholars, it, it is a minority, but there are scholars also among the Jews that believe that the blood was not applied on the outside of the door, but on the inside. Because God sees it anyway. And so, as the Jews, they were not, from that point on, they were not allowed to go outside. They were not allowed to go outside. They were to remain inside till the morning. They were to be sheltered by the blood. And so if that blood was on the inside of the door, it would be a clear sign to them. Now, I'm not sure if that is true. It could be. Maybe it was on both. Who knows? Maybe both the inside and the outside. That could well be. But it was God who had to see the blood. But at the same time, it was a sign for the Israelites. And so there again... Uh, the blood of Christ is of ultimate uh, importance. Maybe you can put up that slide now. The blood of Christ is the basis for redemption, forgiveness of sins, propitiation, justification, access to God, peace with God, cleansing of our sins, sanctification, communion. It's the basis of the new covenant. And it's the basis for our ultimate victory. You take the blood out of Christianity, just like you take the resurrection out of Christianity, and you have no Christianity. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. 
You can teach all you want about the teachings of the Lord Jesus. And that is of the utmost importance. But you cannot teach dead sinners the teachings of the Lord. You need to be born again. You need to be saved, redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. You need to have life within before the life from above. Your sins forgiven before you can live the Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the blood of Christ is of vital importance. And so there again, there are about 25 verses in the New Testament that uh, speak of the redemptive value of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just the fact that his blood was shed by mankind. They did murder him. But that his blood has value to redeem people. Approximately 25 verses. And I put uh, the verses behind them. It's a, it's a, a very, an extremely important teaching in the New Testament. And that is typified in the Old Testament. Now, when we go to uh, verse uh, 8, then it says, Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. And it says in verse 9, Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water. Now, fire in the Bible always speaks of judgment. And so the Lord Jesus, he hung upon that cross, and he received the judgment of God against our sin. He bore my sin in his body on the tree. Just like the blood was applied on the lintel and the doorposts, which were most likely made of wood. So the Lord Jesus hung upon the cross, made of wood. And he died there for you and me. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission. And so they could not eat of it raw. No, the Lord Jesus, he had to receive the fire of God's judgment on his body, but also in his holy soul. He had to be made sin for us. And what happened in that darkness, no one really saw that. What he experienced in his innermost being was beyond the comprehension of men. There were many people crucified, and most people would hang on, that cro- on, on crosses for 36 hours or sometimes days. The Lord Jesus on the cross was there for about six hours. Six hours. But what happened in those six hours, nobody else has ever experienced that. <clears throat> and then it says, um, with bitter With unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. Now, the unleavened bread, they were also to have the feast of unleavened bread. Now, leaven in the Bible is always a picture of evil. Evil. So, they were were to put the leaven outside of their houses. And as we read in 1 Corinthians 5, the leaven speaks of evil, of sin. And the sin, first of all, the unleavened bread speaks also of the Lord Jesus. He was without sin. But at the same time... The unleavened bread also speaks of sanctification that is to happen in our lives following redemption. It's first redemption, then sanctification, not the other way around. It's not first you have to be sanctified and then maybe you might be eligible for redemption at the end of your life, as certain people teach. No, it's first redemption 
and justification. And then there is sanctification. Redemption and justification. And then sanctification. And so, the unleavened bread speaks of the sinless life of the Lord Jesus. And it speaks of the, um, the sanctified lives that we are supposed to live as Christians following redemption. And the bitter herbs, they speak of the, the sufferings of the Lord Jesus. To eat bitter herbs, that's nasty. It's not something that we want to eat. But it reminds us of the sufferings of the Lord Jesus. The sufferings that he endured for us. Not only did he die, but he suffered for us. There is not an animal in the scriptures that can typify the sufferings of the Lord Jesus. Because when an animal was, uh, was uh, sacrificed, they would cut its throat and it would immediately die. You cannot really say that it was um, enduring the sufferings for many hours. But the Lord Jesus, he suffered those he suffered for us as well. You know, at the same time, the bitter herbs is also a, um, a reminder to us that we as Christians should be marked by a seriousness. That doesn't mean you don't have any humor, but the Christian should be marked by a seriousness about the things of God. You know what? This is what I, I, I see happening a lot in our society today, even among professing Christians. There's not as much awe for God as there used to be. Just ask yourself, do I, am I still in awe of God? You know, when I was a, a child, I didn't know the gospel yet, but there was a verse in the, Old Test, in the New Testament which says, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You just want to ask yourself, are you teaching your children the fear of God? God is a holy God. And so we need to be marked as Christians by a seriousness about the things of God, an awe for God, for the holiness of God, for His things, and an appreciation for the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot be lighthearted about such things. And then, <clears throat> um, then in verse... Then you shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. The judgment of God was completely consumed on the Lord Jesus. You might ask yourself, well, I wonder if some of those sins that I committed back in the day, are they really paid for? Yes, they're paid for. Christ, he consumed. He was consumed, but the fire was consumed on him. Everything was burned. It was all done by the Lord Jesus. The wrath of God was expiated upon him. And then it says <clears throat> in verse 11, And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. As we read in First Peter 1, in that context of... Uh, the lamb that was uh, the Christ as the, the lamb, how does it say, um, redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. And it says in verse 13 before, gird up your loins. So, well, that's what we find here. They were to eat the Passover and say they were to gird up their loins. That means to be ready. They had to be ready to leave that night. And when we think of the redemption price of the Lord Jesus... 
that should have an effect upon us. Maybe there's somebody here, and if I were to ask you, are you saved? You would say, well, I, I, I don't know. Well, you can be saved today. You can be saved while you're sitting here. Accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your only Savior. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to respond or are you going to procrastinate? Are you going to wait? It's like it was said last week. The gospel is urgent. The message is for today. You have no guarantee of tomorrow. You have to accept him today. Today. And so these Israelites, they were to eat it in haste. You are not to procrastinate. They were to be ready. And you know, we need to be fully aware of what this is all about and what of the redemption price of the Lord Jesus and act upon it. They were to uh, leave that very night after having been in this land of Egypt for 430 years. They were to leave the uh, slavery of Egypt and to go to the land of freedom. And then... In verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and beasts. You know, death, death and judgment really strikes everybody. Everybody in this world will be judged. There's two ways to be judged. Either by taking the judgment yourself or to accept the fact and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and accept that he died for you, that he took the judgment for your sins. But God has to judge sin. So salvation is not by God somehow, you know, giving a little grace somehow, somehow and just letting you in and, you know, just being a little, uh, 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 giving a little liberty there. No, the, the God has to, be, has to fully maintain his holiness and his judgment. And so the Lord Jesus received my judgment that I deserved. And by faith, I lay hold of that. And so it says then, um, and then he says in verse 12, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. There again is what we find in the New Testament of the Lord Jesus. uh, When he says in Luke 22, he says there, when he is being arrested, he says that this is your hour and the power of darkness. It was not just people against the Lord Jesus. It was really Satan. And, and, and Judas was being used by Satan. Satan came into him. And it was all the demonic forces gathering against him along with the forces of men. And so, as the Lord Jesus says in, in John's gospel three times, he calls him the prince of this world. She says in one of those verses, chapter 12 of John, uh, the prince of this world will come and find nothing in me. There was nothing in the Lord Jesus that the devil could accuse the Lord Jesus of. Nothing, no blemish. But the Lord Jesus was fully conscious that what was happening on that night, or in the darkness, in the darkness on the cross, involved... Satanic forces. We don't see those forces, but they're there. And Satan and the devil is the Satan, the devil is out for your soul as well. He wants the the main thing that he wants to accomplish in your life is to prevent you from getting saved. That's pretty serious. And you know, 
And then it says, <clears throat> as we uh, looked at already, now the blood shall be assigned for you in the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Not when I see your good works. Not when I see how many times you went to church or how much money you gave away. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. The only way of salvation. There has to be death between you and God. Because the soul that sins shall die. As it says in Genesis, in one sin, by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Romans 5.12 Death has to be between you and God before he can accept you. And that death, if it's your death, that means eternal death. If it's the death of Christ, then God is satisfied with the ultimate price that the Lord Jesus paid because of the blood, of the value of the blood of Christ. The only way. And you know what? Even for us believers, if we think we're somebody, if we think we're, we're, we're uh, number one, forget it. We have to always go back to that beginning. That's so wonderful also about remembering the Lord every Lord's Day morning. We begin with the Lord's death. He died for us. That puts us right in our place, doesn't it? And so, in the fact that he rose again, we have life through his name. And then if you go to... <clears throat> um, verse 17. Go down to verse 17. So this is the other part of the feast. Now in the New Testament, when it mentions the Passover... The feast of the Passover, you have to include in that the feast of unleavened bread. The Passover itself was only one day, but the feast of unleavened bread lasted seven days. And the seven days is a type of our whole life. We have to be marked by unleavenedness. It is God's intention to sanctify us. Now you say, well, I mean, I'm a failure. Yes, but that's why we have to go back to the cross. If, we've, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if somebody says he's saved and he has no regard and no conscience whatsoever about living a life for the Lord Jesus, I have serious doubt about that person's salvation. If you struggle, but you have a consciousness about sin and it bothers you, that's a good sign. Because who of us doesn't struggle with certain things? And there's not a man upon the earth that doesn't sin. But is there that sanctifying process in our lives? That's what God wants to see. Now, he has sanctified us positionally. But he likes to see, he wants to see that sanctifying process in our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. Are you taking steps to put the leaven out of your house, out of your life, out of your family, out of the assembly? Are you taking steps? And when you say, well, I'm, I, if you're always saying, I'm such a failure, and I, you, what are you going to do about it? You know, you've got to be practical. The Bible is practical. What are you going to do about it? If there's a certain sin that bothers you all the time, put it out. Get rid of it. Don't make it easy for you to sin in that particular area. Get rid of it. So there needs to be the feast, the feast of unleavened bread, verse 17. And you shall observe this. Day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. And then, verse uh, 26. Um, so this was to be a memorial forever. And now we know that on the 
On the Passover night in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He instituted the Lord's Supper. And so the Passover is a looking back to the day when Israel was redeemed, but it was also a looking forward to the fulfillment in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus himself. And in the same way, the Lord's Supper, we look back to the death of Christ. We look forward to his coming because it says we do this until he comes. We look up to him because it says he is Lord in 1 Corinthians 11. He is Lord. We don't remember a dead Savior, but we remember one who is alive and was dead. And we proclaim his death until we come. And so there is a look up. There is a look forward to his coming, a look back. And then there is a look around us because we're doing this with other people. It was given to the church, the Lord's Supper. And we're also having a look inward because we examine ourselves. Are we supposed to do this? We examine ourselves, a look inward. And so the Israelites, in a very similar way, were to um, keep that Passover. Now, then, uh, just a few more things. Verse 42. This is another little thing about the Lord Jesus. Notice it says in verse 42, it is a night of solemn observance or a night of vigil, as it says in the NIV, a night of vigil, solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. Now, when was that that night of vigil or that night of solemn observance in the New Testament? It was on the night which the Lord Jesus instituted that feast and afterward he went to Gethsemane. Now, who was awake there? Was it the disciples who were observing the solemn observance of the Lord, the night of solemn observance? No, they were sleeping. They were disobeying what is said here in verse 42. It was to be a night of solemn observance, a night of vigil. The only one who was fulfilling this verse was the Lord Jesus himself fully aware in anticipation of what was about to come upon him, fully aware of the impending judgment upon him, the arrest, all circumstances he was fully aware of. He was praying. And he asked his disciples to watch with him, to keep that night of vigil, but they were sleeping. In the meantime, the leaders of Israel, what were they doing? They were absolute hypocrites. Because they were only concerned about the ceremonies. But in that night they were not watching. They were conspiring to kill an innocent man. Their Messiah. They were concerned about all the outward ceremonies. You know we can be like that too you know. Like for example let let me just give you a practical illustration. On Sunday morning if I'm more concerned about what I wear. Than about my inward state before the Lord when I come to the meeting. What is that than hypocrisy? I'm not saying we shouldn't wear nice clothes. I, I, I won't go into that. But the big thing is, how is your, how is our state of heart before the Lord? The Lord looks at the heart. He wants to see um, uh, reality. And so the Lord Jesus was the only one that did that. And then the last thing, um, verse 
46, it says at the end, nor shall you break one of its bones. Now this is quoted, this is mentioned again in Psalm 34, and then quoted in John 19, verse 36, where it actually says, when the soldier pierced his side, there came out blood and water. See, they had broken the bones of the first and the third man, but when they saw the Lord Jesus has died, this Roman soldier, he probably didn't have a clue what he was doing. He pierced his side, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken. No bone of him shall be broken. The perfect Passover lamb, no bone of him shall be broken. And so we have a wonderful Savior today. I just want to ask you, do you appreciate him? What does Jesus Christ mean to you? What does he mean for you? What think you of Christ is the test. To try both your state and your scheme. You cannot be right in the rest unless you think rightly of him. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for what the Lord Jesus has done for us. There is no one like him. We thank you, Father, that all the Old Testament scriptures point forward to him. And one day, we all, as believers, we shall be standing around the Lamb. And we shall ascribe all glory to him. We shall cast our crowns before him. We shall bow the knee before him. And Father, we want to do that today. The Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land, of that heavenly place. Father, we thank you for him. We pray, Father, for anyone here this morning who has never come, never had that experience with the Lord Jesus of having surrendered to him and accepting the sacrifice of him on behalf for them. Father, we pray that they also may come and trust the Lord Jesus and receive your forgiveness. May the right before you through the blood of the Lamb, by faith in him who gave himself for us. Father, we pray that we as believers may appreciate him more. Father, we confess to you that we sometimes, very often actually, are not as appreciative as we should be. We pray that you may help us to keep that feast of unleavened bread all throughout our lives. We pray that you may help us to help also one another towards this, this goal of the Lord Jesus. And Father, we thank you for what he has done. And we thank you for his high priestly work in heaven. That he is there to sanctify us. And to carry us through the wilderness of this life. And Father, we give you thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.